Hello and welcome to episode number three of Baby Talk. I'm Peter Thomas Fornitalo of the In the Money Players Podcast, joined by our buddy, our uh, our handicapping expert. He's our breeding expert. We we pull him in anytime we need to talk about anything having to do with two year olds or the breeding industry. And he is uh, coming to us from Gainesway Farm, Sean Tugel. Sean, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Uh, you know, we, we, we're working on our backdrops here. We're getting our logo ready, and, and the two-year-old race in Saratoga is getting ready to get going, and this is why we're we're here and we're doing the show. But uh, I do have to say you definitely out-backdropped me today. <laughs> I think that's an upgrade from the Brooklyn bunker. I mean, look at – look at. I mean, is it really – is that is, – do you have it? Is, is the top shelf stuff legitimately top shelf behind you, or is it – you know, is that how, – how do you arrange the cabinet? It's pretty random here. I just did a proper organization of the whiskey cabinet in Brooklyn. I'll, I'll we'll do a little a little trickery. I even have we even have the top top shelf, which oh. you can, which you can see up there. And whiskey lovers will see the the bottles of, of Stag and the special uh, makers bottles and and realize that that's probably the the, the the we we like it's it's so it's like sort of like Spinal Tap. This one goes up to eleven. It's it's the it's the tippity it's the tippity top shelf. And if you ask me, well, why don't you just take those down and make them the top shelf? I'd say you'd understand, but it's it's the tippity top shelf. But no, and, I, and I'm sure the other you know handicappers love to keep notes love to keep all kinds of stats how do you have a catalog do you have a are you my my father-in-law is a complete wino and his excel spreadsheet on his wine is just it's outrageous so what what do you have it uh cataloged in any special way i i really should especially because of the fact that i have half the collection here and half the collection downstate it's more important for wine where you're buying cases i'm not at the level yet with whiskey and i don't think really too many people are at the level of whiskey where they're buying whole cases of it it, it just becomes sort of a, a catch as catch can but i do like that idea i would probably if, if i committed to the spreadsheet i might drink less too thinking oh i'd have a, a drink of that but then i'd have to mark it in the spreadsheet it might keep me doing more handicapping it might, it and less drinking little, it might be a little too honest for you, you might... <laughs> i want that ability to just have that last dram at the there end of go. the night but you see we've got the one of the ones you can see up there is our in the money uh, whiskey uh, have you uh you, you were on a list to receive that at some point did it ever arrive i, I believe it has 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 come to the house and uh we have some some people that we like to share it with and so uh i'm sure uh, i i love the description i love the description about uh uh, nothing more uh, quintessential about New York than apples. So. There you go. You're a Western New York native who knows about uh, apples. And and then, of course, if you know the history of cocktails, rye whiskey, um, such a great New York spirit from the past. So it was sort of our tribute well, it, to Saratoga. The true, man, the true Manhattan should be made with rye, correct? Correct. That was the spirit in New York in the 19th century. Folks interested in that can check out uh, trfinc.org slash players. We do have a few bottles of our Empire Rye finished in the apple brandy barrel left but believe it or not even though you'd think this was sean and ptf's whiskey podcast and it's great to give a shout out to our sponsors over at the thoroughbred retirement foundation across the network and our founding partners well we're here because of gainsway today sean as you well know your hat tells the story right there rocking the, the mckinsey hat i was going to put on my tappet hat but i thought it was going to be a little too matchy matchy maybe so we kept it with the panama but we're here to talk about these baby races at Saratoga. One year ago, you called me and said, hey, I have an idea for a new show. And this was pretty much it. We, we've had a couple of baby talks where we've talked about uh, freshman sires and, and how the year's been going so far from a breeding industry point of view. But we really envision this as a chance to come on whenever the heck we want 
and talk about interesting two-year-old races. And for my money, we've got three of them here on opening day at Saratoga, a day that certainly deserves extra coverage as well. I'm going to start off, though, with a question for you, Sean. Astute viewers of the past performances will notice that race number two and race number five have the exact same conditions. What's going on there? Uh, well, that would be where, where the, you know, especially at Saratoga and the early books, uh, you'll have a lot of over, over subscriptions and uh, you'll have the racing office has the ability, especially in the baby races, uh, to split the races. So in this instance, and you'll see this down at Kentucky Downs a lot, uh, where you have so many entries that you can make two races. And uh, so that's what they went ahead and did here, it looks like, is split the two-year-old Phillies race. Uh, two really good fields, and, and this is why we're here. This is why we, we, we wanted to do the show. And, and so uh, I think um, it, they gave us the treat of uh, giving us two main special weights on opening day. And not to mention the stake race we're going to be yapping about a little bit later. But we'll start off in our second race on Thursday. 1.41 is the scheduled post time for these two-year-old maiden fillies going five and a half. A few horses leap off the page here. And, hey, this is a show uh, sponsored by Gainsway. So don't we have to start with the tappet? I think you do on the outside. Um, looks like the logical, obviously the logical um, favorite. I uh, won't necessarily say it's the logical winner, but um, – but, you know, having had that one race under the belt already, and it looks like it could be a productive race, you know, Pretty Birdie, who was by Birdsong, who actually stood here at Gainesway uh, for Mrs. Mary Lou Whitney. Uh, he has since gone to, to, gone to Saudi Arabia. Um, but has uh, Pretty Birdie, who's going to be running Scottville that we'll get to later. But uh, on the outside, the uh, speedometer, great name, out of the uh, mayor speeding through the city, great producer. Uh, she, he is a, she is a tappet, and nine to five favorite for Steve Asmussen on the outside. Ran a 65 buyer first time out, which uh, of the first time starters in this race is the highest. Um, certainly, you know, at Saratoga, we we're all prepared for uh, very impressive performances for, from first time starters. Uh, but there's no better experience and and edge for any young horse than that start under their own belt. So she does look like uh, uh, a, a very serious um, favorite in this race for sure. How much do you pay attention to that? You mentioned about uh, speeding through the city being a, a, a good producer so far. And you look, and if you, if you want to take a look at the numbers, the, the siblings have run, they are both, uh, they, they, they were the ones that, that made it to the, the races, I believe both won and, and ran some decent numbers. How important is that female side of, of the pedigree? I think a lot of people sometimes get so dialed into the, the sire side that that can get overlooked. I, I think the female family is uh, extremely important. Um, I put a lot more credence into the female family, especially when I do matings uh, and, and look at young horses at the sales. I concentrate a lot on the family. Uh, certainly you look and, and, and want to see if anything with similar matings has worked well. Uh, what has the mare typically produced? Uh, especially a mare like this, who pretty much, like you said, you know, the, the top horses that have made it there are, are, are kind of stakes caliber type horses. Um, so anytime you can see one of these mares, especially through the Winchell program that has had such great success with Tappet, having uh, and been able to be around him throughout his entire stallion career here at Gainesway, um, you'll, you'll see a lot of these mares have been bred to Tappet many times or some of their other stallions. And uh, being that she has success here with, uh, with the Tappet line, you would think that uh, she'd be pretty serious. And we've, we've been able to see a race under, under her belt already. And, and certainly she has a little bit of from what we've already seen. So um, I put a lot of credence into the female family. Certainly 
uh, when you're handicapping, uh, you do land on, on the sires quite a bit, uh, just cause you have a larger sample size. Right. Right. That's, that's a great point. It's for people with a real stats base, you're going to want to go with those larger samples, but sometimes the edge comes when you, when you can get signal from those smaller samples. You mentioned about that hot uh, looking first race that speedometer comes out of two have come back two have won. We'll see if speedometer can make it three from three on Thursday. Maybe her biggest rival could be the Philly tour inside owned by uh, my racehorse and spendthrift by Frosted, an interesting uh, sire in his own right, and another dam who's produced some runners in more oats, please. The interesting thing to me here is I feel like sometimes the narratives that we have as horse players can go too far in one direction. Bill Mott, first-time starters, is the example I'm going to use. I feel like for so long the Mott firsters didn't show their best and always improved later and, and weren't necessarily well meant first out that that reputation has really stuck to him even as in recent years his percentages with firsters have actually gotten better especially if you filter in certain categories so i'm almost thinking that the mott firster has the, the script has flipped and it's almost from a betting point of view to me become a positive because enough people think oh mott she'll need one and meanwhile you look at this pedigree i think frosted oats comes here with a big chance what do you think my friend I mean, she's certainly one of, of, of a couple fillies on the, on this uh, in this race that I believe have a shot. Uh, I'm a fan of Frosted. Uh, he's a, he's turned into a successful son of Tappet. Uh, but again, we, we, we go back to the bottom side. Uh, More Oats Please is, is a grade one producer. Uh, the filly that she produced, Peace and War, I believe might have even been Warfront's very first grade one winner, was definitely one of the first. Uh, she won, I think it was the Alcibiades here at Keeneland for Grand Motion. And uh, so, again, pedigree, and, and this is at, at Saratoga, we see these fancy pedigrees. So uh, the mayor's a grade one producer, so the class is there. Um, Rosario takes the mount. I think that um, sometimes you might see with Mott trying to decipher whether it is one of the horses that needs a, you know, a run to get underneath its belt or a horse that's a little bit more live. I do think you can kind of maybe look at what jocks he may choose to put on there. Um, and so in this instance, he put Rosario on there. Uh, five to one tells you that the, the odds maker thinks she's got a shot. And uh, so it definitely, you know, Mott's going to pop with a couple each year, firsters. And also what I also like is he likes to run them back sometimes on two weeks rest up there. Uh, so even though maybe they don't win first time out, you better keep an eye on him because he's looking to get, you know, maybe a second start into him and later in the meet. And, and as we've already discussed, you know, once you've got one race under your belt, it always makes you a little bit more live. But I do know anytime he does win, you're going to get paid. So if, if, if you take the right right uh, opinion on, on his first or especially two-year-olds, you can be rewarded. Frosted Oats, there's that idea that she's owned by my racehorse and a fractional ownership stable. I don't think there's enough data on this, but it's going to be really interesting to see if every time these live-looking firsters owned collectively by so many owners go out, that maybe – maybe they catch a little bit more money because there are so many owners who want to have a flutter on their own horse. Now, that's just a hypothesis now, but it'll be interesting to see. I always follow betting patterns in these races. It's a, it's a pretty good proxy for barn info or a clocker report. If you see a horse like Frosted Oats 
five to one on the morning line, open up at three to one. Historically, my thought on that would have been, wow, this one's really live. Definitely need to have some frosted oats on the tickets. But I'm going to pay attention to this meet and see if uh, these ones owned in in very, very big partnerships maybe tend to catch money almost regardless just because of the number of owners. Where else is your eye drawn in this race, Sean? I tell you, the the, the horse, the, uh, the six seduce in the mischief, second time starter, uh, again, has a race under its belt. Uh, Graham Motion, who who usually always likes to give him a, a start, a lot a lot like Bill, or or at least is labeled that way. Um, didn't have a real fancy buyer first time out, but you've seen it plenty of times, especially with a barn like Motions. Uh, you can jump up 15, 20 points in the next start. I love that it's an in the mischief. I love that he put Johnny V on there. I like the post position. I like that they've already had a start of the bell. So, you know, outside of the logical favorites, uh, I think the six horse seduce is a horse that really intrigues me. Uh, and you're going to get hopefully a price. Now, you know, we, a lot of people might have the same opinion. And next thing you know, she goes off at three to one. Um, and then I think the only other horse that I find in there to be logical is, is the Tom Amos Furster has some bullet works there. He's always live. They come out, they break well. Uh, they usually show speed. To twirling candy and uh he's certainly a successful sire of two-year-olds so um you know the the horse on the outside speedometer i think uh is is a deserving favorite but the uh the other three we talked about certainly uh have every right to maybe upset the apple cart there microbiome being by twirling candy they're so good first out and this is another dam that's had two make it to the races and they've both won so there's just a lot of horses that click the boxes if i held your feet to the fire to make a selection the show isn't necessarily about uh holding feet to the fire and making selections but i'm going to do it here for opening day at saratoga because we've been waiting a long time for this sean and the listeners and viewers want to gamble who would you pick uh, from a gambling standpoint, watch the board. But if uh, the motion horse drifts down at all from the 10 to 1, you might be pretty live there and get paid. I'm with you. I, if you made me pick when you have a group of four that's live, the, the longer price one, and you, you made a good case, when you can go against the grain, so much of the market in baby races is going to be based on information and workouts and the kind of stats we've been talking about. But I think a lot of people might be dismissive of that one. I think you're going to get – eight or 10 to one simply because of that low figure and with motion uh, and these motion babies, especially it doesn't necessarily matter. Let's move on to race five, the split of the race as you were describing before. This is a race we talked about on our in the money plus podcast with Marshall Graham, one who's been working with the, the Asmussen runner in the other race, uh, Echo Zulu, that might be an interesting place to start just because there's a heck of a lot of pedigree there. And I also like the idea that if the Asmussen runner in race number two speedometer runs well, would that make you upgrade Echo Zulu at all? Yeah. And so I didn't catch what you said, but I, I was Echo Zulu and speedometer. Or they, do they have same work day? Or, okay. Correct. They work so together. That obviously, um, if you're playing a multi-race wager you're not going to be able to see that uh beforehand but but certainly if you like speedometer then you're probably going to like echo zulu um and definitely popped out like you said let go my echo has produced plenty of good runners throughout the uh her career she's getting a little long in the tooth now but but she's been producing a lot of good horses uh gun runner is leading the freshman sire list uh right now and has seven winners uh caravaggio still holds the top spot there with eight but gun runner any day is going to get that next one and could come with a flurry of them the way they're running 
Um, something about this horse, and I always like to watch the Asmussen work pattern, especially with firsters. If you go back to three back, you see the gate work there. It was a bullet. Uh, that's where he went to find out if, if this horse is quality enough to, to run, you know, opening weekend at Saratoga. Obviously, the, the filly looks like she gave him the green light. Came back with two, you know, moderate, easy, what we're used to normal kind of Asmussen works. Um, so I do like that. You get seven to two, which is a fair price for, for a main special weight Philly race. Uh, so I definitely think there's a lot of positive signs there, especially if the workmate gets the job done and gets the job done, uh, impressively in the, in the second race. Um, the horse that actually is a Philly that caught my eye when she ran at Churchill Downs is a three horse lady Scarlet. Uh, she ran behind a Spicetown Philly called Tis Plenty, who's a half to Mr. Money. And she, they ran her back kind of on short rest, it looked like, in the stakes race at Churchill. I think she ran about mid-pack, but didn't get beat too bad. Kind of ran uh, respectable, but her main race was good. And this Lady Scarlet was a first-timer for Cox and um, ran a really good race, what I thought was a very good race. Got a 64 buyer that day. Uh, just recently had a 47-1 work. Um, she's a horse, like I said, I like these, these horses that have a race under their belt already. Uh, she's one from a horse that's already run uh, coming out of, you know, what we get at Saratoga is, is you get a lot of first time starts, but you get a lot of all the circuits around the country kind of come together, especially on the East Coast of Churchill and Delaware and, and everybody's kind of come together. So, uh, you know, as you watch and especially after the meet, you start to watch when they go back to their circuits uh, the, where they start to win. But, you know, I think the Churchill Downs maiden races uh, have gotten very good here in the springtime now. So you're going to need to really pay attention to the horses coming up to Saratoga who already have a runner of the belt. Coming out of Churchill, we're probably the strongest two-year-old races are being run right now um, into the spring. So Lady Scarlet's a, a filly that has a lot of my attention. Certainly, uh, we'll be rooting for uh, Alex Felice, our director of Bloodstock, and his clients, LNJ Foxwoods. They've got the, uh, the high-priced filly out Fox by a, an intriguing freshman sire and valiant minister who stands down in Florida. So uh, she's 10 to 1. She's with Bill Mott. Um, She's been working well with with a filly they really like, um, who ran at Belmont called Popular Vote. Had a got kind of a slow start to her her first career start, but ran a really good closing fourth. She's one that we're going to have to watch when she comes back in Saratoga later in the meet. Um, but I think Echo Zulu, the work pattern, Asmussen, uh, that filly's got to be live. But uh, I'm very intrigued by Lady Scarlet in this race. I understand, and the workouts do look strong. I was just trying to get cute and maybe think that Lady Scarlet would do better in the in the second start of the meet, going a little bit longer based on what I know of this pedigree. But there's too much support from sharp people for me to act, actually try to oppose Lady Scarlet in any way. I'm glad you mentioned Out Fox. That was an angle I was going to mention to you, Sean, to get your opinion. Anytime I see a sire whose stud fee is 3000 and then the horse sold for 360000 that's telling me this is a very, very fast horse. I made my point before about giving an extra little bit of a nod to the Mott first-time starters because I think people just knee-jerk avoid them yeah. sometimes. I'm, I'm very much interested in, in outfoxed, especially in the pick bets where we can get locked into to a mm. price potentially. And then I think you, the, the other two that you mentioned have to be used, Echo, uh, in terms of Echo Zulu and uh, and also Lady Scarlet. Yeah, and and, and Valiant Ministers is, you know, a lot of the show is, is, is based around the freshman sire list, and, and we're starting to see – a lot of freshmen sire now get their uh, feet wet with their first starters. He's a horse coming out of the two-year-old sales value ministry. I think he was like $600,000 two-year-old himself. 
had some issues, didn't get to the race until he was four, only ran once, but it was in a very, very impressive race. And all of a sudden we see uh, not only this filly sell well at the sales, but several other horses bring six figures plus. And like you said, when you see a $3,000 horse and, and Florida's known for this, they're known for these horses that aren't quite, you know, the, the, that can't really carve out an, an early career being a standing here in Kentucky, but they, they end up in Florida. They're bred to a lot of early speedy horses because that's that's what their racing is kind of based around of. And we see a lot of Ocala two-year-old pinhookers who are also like to breed a little bit. And so their job is to sell fast race horses on at the two-year-old sales. So, um, you know, you see Cantharos, you see Mr. Prospector, you see all kinds of horses who have come out of Florida uh, through the years. And they're going to continue to do that. And this this is the kind of horse that maybe he's got the profile to do that. He's was a very impressive uh, maiden winner. Didn't quite get to fulfill his his career out through his potential that he had, but uh, maybe as a stallion, uh, and he stands at Brattlewood somewhere where where he's going to get a real shot. So he's definitely one I'm going to be very interested to see how his two year olds run over the next several months. Definitely a storyline to follow. I think we have to talk about number six, Salasta, before we move on from this race. Sean, another a very productive dam with with five winners and Golden Sense certainly does well with first time starters. But a lot of players will will look to the trainer and jockey and tell you that's why this one's live. We remember, the, I guess it was two years ago when Jeremiah Engelhart won so many two year old races up here. And of course, anytime you see Irad Ortiz Jr. take the call, uh, that gets noted by the horse players as well. Do you have anything to add on this one? Um, I mean, I think you're going to see Irad is 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 going to be competing for the for the leading title. So I think you always got to look at at who he's on. Jeremiah's had great success with two year olds, especially at Saratoga over the years. So um, you're always going to have to pay attention to to those connections. Let's move on to the Schuylerville. We get some graded stakes action, one of the traditional opening day races here at Saratoga. Super excited to see it. We go six furlongs. And for me, in my reading of this race, Sean, that's one of the key factors. Where is your eye drawn? You know, we, we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier uh, about the Philly Pretty Birdie. She's, she is drawn on the rail for, for Norm Cassie. Um, she ran a 78 by her first time out, which was pretty impressive. Um, so if she can replicate that, that could, could be good enough just to win. Um, but she's pretty limited in her options. She's going to have to go. Um, so if she gets eyeballed and hooked up, you never know. You, 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 can, you, you don't always know, can remember the horses that, that got hooked up in those speed duels at Saratoga. But, boy, you can remember how it plays out. And about turning for home, you got two two-year-old either Colts or Phillies eyeballing it, run their eye, you know, as hard as they can. The next thing you know, they get swarmed up. And, and so – you know, if she gets locked up with two or three other Phillies, you, you know, it might set up for something to kind of close out of it. But uh, I find her extremely intriguing, not only because of the buyer speed figure she ran last time out, uh, but she is by freshman sire Birdsong and Bridal Song was a champion two-year-old. Um, so there's a lot of precocity and speed there, uh, connections you got to like. And uh, But then the, the horse just to her outside, the two horse, also by another freshman sire, uh, and the half to the champion from last year, Viquist. Um, mainstay is, is another very interesting uh, filly. Now, Astern was a champion down in, in Australia, which was all turf racing. This filly won on the slop. A lot of times slop and turf horses get along pretty well. Um, so I can't say that I can tell you the forecast for, for Saratoga opening day. Um, but the dry dirt, her, her sister liked it, but we'll see if she's able to translate that first performance at Monmouth and the slop to this spot. 
will be dry. Uh, it, it, there will be cut in the ground, I think, for the turf races, but it, even with all the rain we've had, I have a feeling by this race especially, that it, there shouldn't be uh, too much wrong with the ground. It should be it should pretty, be pretty dry and ready to go. The uh, only thing I have to add on Pretty Birdie is you will get another line on that form back in race number two. I'd make a note of how uh, the outside runner in that race does. And if that's another winner from that race, it could be the pretty birdie is just going to be too tough to beat. I definitely wanted some mainstay on my tickets uh, a little bit more as a backup. I just, uh, I, I worry that the, 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 the connection to last year's two-year-old champion could drive the price unsustainably low based on how impressive that first race was. And it was just a slop race at Monmouth, but, if I could use as a backup somewhere, I would. I have kind of a goofy idea, and you were beginning to allude to the potential scenario of them just going hammer and tongs right from the bell in this spot and maybe things setting up for a closer. If that's what happens, Pipeline Girl, I think, is the one who can benefit for Tom Amos, who, at, like with most trainers, the runners typically do come on for the start. But I really like the fact that she's gone the six and won at six and past horses. Those attributes, I think, could play very well in this spot by Air Force Blue and uh, another just rocking female family. There are so many of them today. Nine winners in this pedigree um, <laughs> from this dam. It's I like Pipeline Girl a whole lot. And for fixed odds listeners, especially, if you can lock in eight to one and play that each way, um, in other words, being able to lock in a, a, a potentially a two to one price if you were to run in the first three, that would be great value and where I'd be most likely to be looking to spend my money in the Schuylerville. Sean, any further thoughts on Pipeline Girl or any of the rest of these gals on uh, opening well, day? I mean, the, the Philly we haven't even talked about who probably goes off favorite is, is Happy Soul. Um, and as we've already talked about horses, Ron, she's won twice and she's, I believe the only multiple winner in there, um, uh, and has been dominant so far. So, you know, I think her last out was an 81 buyer, which is a tick higher than pretty birdies. Um, she, but she also, I think the last time I, I looked at the PPs before we got on here and her last work was, was June 30th. So that's going to be about a two week, uh, window without having to publish work. Don't know if that's by design, if it wasn't, you know, if the, the clockers missed it. Um, I kind of like seeing horses in that steady work pattern, having worked, you know, six or seven days out from a race minimum, uh, just to give me confidence. Everything's okay. Going into the race, especially on a favorite. Um, I, I don't want any question marks on a favorite, to be honest with you, or else we're going to try to beat the favorite. Um, certainly Wesley, two-year-olds, Saratoga, anywhere. He, uh, is one to be reckoned with. Um, she's definitely the one to beat in my opinion. Um, but then, Velvet's sister, you know, I think she's probably going to take a lot of a lot of money, but I'm a little skeptical about the race that she's coming out of. Uh, it was a three-horse field. She won by nine lengths. It only got a 58 buyer. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to see that she won by nine lengths, but but when you do the race, I'm not quite sure uh, how sexy of a race that is. She's a New York bred. Um, obviously, Stone Street and the Connections, let's take the shot with the, the Great Stakes race. I think that's a filly who's going to take a lot of money, who uh, – Maybe a horse that that maybe she's going to be taking a lot of money because who she's by and and the connections versus her her on the racetrack. I think that's a fair point. And, and in a similar token, sometimes a race isn't as good as it looks at at first glance. That was my thought on Happy Souls Astoria. It was impressive, and the figure is is what it is and is is legit and. 
But I worry with as bet as speed figures get, and then you throw in the fact that you've got this stakes winner facing all these uh, first time against winners horses. But you go back and look at that field in the in the Astoria, and it was it was basically a glorified maiden. Half the field in that race was maidens. I just think at the price. Happy Soul was going to be one I'd be happy to take on, and uh, she may stuff me in a locker, kick sand in my face, whatever you want to say. But I felt like from a betting point of view, that was the right approach to take in the Schuylerville. Uh, and if she wins, you just clap your hands and you say, hey, we've got ourselves a hell of a two-year-old here. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm sure Mackinville will, will be coming out with all kinds of promos. And, uh, <laughs> make sure you call Bernie Sams. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that is one thing that I do like about Happy Soul is we've seen these run happies get better for their racing and get better with time and distance. So maybe the 550 to, uh, to, to 6 is going to move Happy Soul forward and, and maybe the added time is going to move Happy Soul forward. So like with all questions in this game, you can, you can answer them in a number of different ways. I'm going to take the uh, the wait and see approach. Just again, if, if we were talking about a, a a horse that was going to be any kind of price, it's the most obvious use in the world. But you know, we came on here and, and made interesting cases for a few others, and and we'll see what how, how it all plays out. Any other closing thoughts from you, Sean, about this race, or anything else to do with Saratoga Opening Day? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, Pete. I think the one thing that jumped out to me, um, and I'm sure we may have a show or, or recap on on the, uh, the the two-year-old boys version of, of the Skylarville that goes on Saturday. Uh, but look, I think it's fantastic. You know, so many times we we kind of gotten used to these little bit of a shorter field, especially in the two-year-old race. Very positive signs that they have this weekend. Two full field made this race. You can full field in a six race. You know, the first race, I uh, just came within that hour. Uh, so it, it's that's to me a, a great positive sign. I think everybody that, that has talked about Saratoga or, or getting to Saratoga, you know, anything involved in Saratoga, it's, it's like Christmas is here. And they just can't wait to unwrap the presents. And, uh, and like, I mean, everybody here is getting ready for the sales and everything. It's just, you know, uh, you don't you don't treasure what you've lost until you've lost it. So um, I I think Saratoga is just going to be it's going to be amazing, especially this meet. I think it's just going to be be awesome. So I'm excited for it. When what's your day of arrival? Uh, I think that Thursday before the sale, and then we'll be up through the sales. Okay. Um, we'll be out the races. I think we'll, you know me and you will we'll have to catch up and. Uh, to do some shows there, maybe maybe trackside and 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 see what we can we can do. But obviously the listeners the listeners take this show more than anybody. So uh, so once once we start to hear from them what they want, uh, whether it be your fedora choices or or what, then we'll uh, we'll we'll go and run with it. Oh my goodness gracious, I love it. Well, I like the idea of coming back and doing one, you know, maybe a shorter one, um, but coming back for Saturday, I, we'll talk offline, production meeting at the end of the show, we'll talk offline about when to pop the next one up here, but I'm game, I love talking about these races with you, some of my favorite races to bet at Saratoga, and it's always a pleasure working with you, my friend. Same with you, Pete, and uh, looking forward to uh, to meeting up with you. I don't, we haven't seen each other, uh, were you even in town for Breeders' Cup? It, it, it feels so long ago. I saw you at we 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 crossed paths briefly at at Breeders Cup, but we'll we'll oh, have that's to. Right. That's right. Now we, we can. We didn't recognize each other's eyes. Right? <laughs> each other's I think that was it. I think you that was I it. Was just a creepy uh, guy trying to get a. Uh, <laughs> I was like, enough autographs. I got you. We'll, we'll get you. We'll get you the next time. 
that's not true. I, I tried to get you later, but but uh, yeah, the, the mask thing was confusing. But now we can have a drink properly. I can't wait to do it with you here, my friend. Can't wait to talk to you again uh, for the next episode of Baby Talk, which will presumably be dropping sometime in the next couple of days. Thank you. Thank our other friends over there at Gainsway. And uh, thanks to producer Craig for helping us throw this thing together. Thanks though, most of all to everybody out there for listening, viewing, supporting the shows. Let us know more of the type of content you want on here. Any questions you might have, we're happy to answer those as well. That's going to do it. Uh, Baby Talk has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kitchen. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May the hammer drop your way.